0: remember? Huh? Remember at the end of 2016 when you said, this is the worst year because Prince and Bowie and Muhammad Ali, well, they were no longer here and folks didn't show up on voting day because they all thought they were above the fray and you were mad yeah you were pissed but you said well a year can't get much worse than this remember at the end of 2017 when you said this is the worst year wildfires shootings and the need for me too and constantly living in fear and Trump always lying in Twitter discourses and Charlottesville dicks on their little tiki torches and you were mad, yeah, you were pissed, but again you said, well, a year can't get much worse than this. Brett Kavanaugh, Tide Pods, kids at the border made you say 2018's the worst. Yeah, you really can't top learning that year that climate change can't be reversed. 2019 did not help one bit, cause the Mueller report, well that didn't do shit. There was Brexit, impeachment, and Jussie Smollett, okay boomer, which proved just how rude we can get. And of course, around New Year's Day, you just shelled out the same old cliche. You could have said nothing, but you couldn't resist. You were like, well, next year can't get much worse than this. Well another year has come and gone and Here we are. And I don't have to mention to you what has transpired thus far. And you said, Man, this has been the worst year. And I had a feeling you might. But I won't criticize because, let's face it, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you might think this song will now take an optimistic turn as what the future brings. Nope, not this song. Nope, this song is just a list of really shitty things. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Just keep working on yourself and maybe put the damn phone down and grab a book off the shelf. And if someone's being a dick, then sometimes you have to fight. And sometimes it's good to walk away and know that that is all right. But I don't have all of the answers for this and neither does anybody online. And I'm not here to sugarcoat and tell you that things will be fine. But if you look out for others, just donate or volunteer Then 2021 won't feel at the end like another worst year. If you see the good in people, you won't fall into the abyss. And maybe 12 months from now, I just might not hear you say, well, a year can't get much worse than this.
1: That was Bill Lorcan, the populist, pugilist, pianist of the Paper Machete, Chicago's weekly live magazine series that turned... 10 years old in January of this year. Believe it or not, that is how our 2020 started. With a, a big old 10 year anniversary party. It was awesome. We were really excited and proud of this milestone. It, it you know, it just felt great to be the paper machete gang in January of this year. Anyway, hello and thank you for listening to this a special year-end episode of the Paper Machete Audio Magazine. I'm Christopher, and y'all know what year this is, y'all know what year it was. If you can hear my voice, congratulations on surviving 2020. Or I guess, congratulations on being rich enough to be cryogenically frozen and listening to this in whatever year it's safe to be thawed out and reanimated. This episode features some seasonal treats from live Green Mill shows past, and speaking of ghosts of Christmas past, this person isn't technically a ghost, but her essay on holiday traditions is still pretty delightful. Here's Sonal Agarwal. Hey
2: guys! We good? You can hear me? It's me, your favorite cultural liaison and vibes coordinator, Sonal Agarwal. And guess what y'all, Christmas is dope. (laughs) Big news, big news, did you guys know that? Christmas is full of psychedelic mythology and it's basically just a cultural hijacking of the age old celebration of the sun. You're all a bunch of astro fuckers celebrating the alignment of our celestial bodies. Let the sun shine, let the sun, the sun shine in is actually a Christmas carol. Uh, So it's basically a celebration of the sun, it's actually a Christmas carol, and Christmas is basically a celebration of the birth of Christ, our Lord, or the sun. I'm Hindu. Uh, what do you guys know about Hinduism? Besides whatever you think you know about yoga. And chai lattes. Uh, As a Hindu, I grew up with my family celebrating Christmas. It's not October, brown people. Cheers, Uh, yes, because we don't care. Christ, Krishna, it's all the same shit. Uh, We don't judge people based on their belief systems. No, 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 no. We judge people based on how much money they make. Yes, why are we clapping? Yes, the caste system. Very spiritual social engineering. Uh, We don't bother complaining about Christmas because we have our own ridiculous holidays to celebrate and complain about. Like the Hindu holiday, Karvachot. Who knows what Karvachot is? Gold star for the brown table. Now, listen up so you can correct me if I'm wrong later while I fill in the rest of y'all. Karvachot is a Hindu holiday in which the wives fast for the protection of the husbands. The end. Yes, so if you're wondering how the patriarchy is holding up back in the stand, they're doing great. They have snacks. Why are we complaining about Christmas when there are so many other holidays to complain about? And why are women always starving themselves? Mary allegedly lived on a diet of fasting and devotion as well. Look how connected we are. I'm pretty sure the same dudes who wrote the Bible are writing our holy books as well, um, it's actually it's quite extraordinary the way that consumer culture swept in and grabbed hold of the solstice and slapped a really great Coca-Cola marketing team on it. The whole idea of flying reindeer is actually sourced in Scandinavian storytelling that basically boils down to tripping reindeer. And, woo, and they are reindeer caretakers that insist on uh, this happening every year around the same time that the days are shortest. Hell yeah. Um, reports of a fat man shaped like the magic mushroom, Amanita Muscaria, are basically what Santa is. There are so many stories about this robust saint. Like in Germany, he was a demon that would... Uh, get you at night. So children were encouraged to stay inside for safety reasons. Today, Santa has evolved into the modern-day stalker that we know so well with his judging and list-checking, perpetuating a fear-based paradigm to control the behavior of children. Isn't that God's job? Uh, as part of the research project process for this piece, I've seen a lot of videos, and I saw one video of a huge church congregation. And the preacher was like, Santa's trying to knock Jesus out of the top spot. Santa will not knock Jesus out of the top spot. Can I get an amen from this lady clapping for Santa? Uh, Now I'm like kind of side-eyeing every Santa. I'm like, you will not take the top spot. That's Jesus's spot. Um, Rudolph, and like, Rudolph, yeah, like, First of all, how do Santa and Jesus even know each other? Like, are they like distant relatives? Is Santa like an uncle twice removed? Who knows? Rudolph was created by the once well-known department store, Montgomery Ward. Did anybody know that? No, nobody knows that. Just like nobody knows that Montgomery Ward used to be a store. Santa Claus is a fraud. As recounted in the Maccabee Christmas classic, Christmas is canceled. One of my favorite carols during the holiday season, you guys know it, right? Santa Claus, what a fraud, never did nothing at all. It was my parents. You guys know that one, you gotta look it up. Christmas is canceled, very good. It was my parents living those presents under the tree, who when asked about the authenticity of the Santa story, were happy to tell me Santa Claus is a big bullshit. (laughs) Just like a lot of bullshit in this world. Everyone is lying most of the time, trust no one. Uh, I also, as a child, once asked my dad about the possibility of a Hindu hell, and he shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, sure, probably. (laughs) And I said, okay, well, should I be like worried about that? and he looked at me and said, are you going to die? (laughs) And I was like, not today, I'm only 12. And he said, okay, then shut up and do your homework. (laughs) Are you being paid to ask these questions? Who is paying you, huh? Oh, Miss Question, Question, Question. (laughs) It's a very privileged thing to ask questions. So what is the deal with the birth and resurrection of a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Uh, you pagans are celebrating the death and resurrection of the sun. Why is pagan being used like a swear word? Pagan just means a person holding religious beliefs other than those of the main world religions. I'm pretty sure I'm looking into a room full of pagans. Gotcha. And if you're an atheist, good for you, dude. You still need the sun. (laughs) Regardless of your feelings about Christmas, we're surrounded by it. Why are these stories significant? Because originally, these stories connected us to a natural phenomenon. Most everyone here will have heard some sort of story at some point about three kings or wise men, always dudes, following a star in the east to bring presents to the king of the Jews, which sounds inappropriate coming out of anybody's mouth. Presents like frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Well, guess what, y'all? The star in the east is actually the north star. A real star, Sirius, The most important star in the ancient Egypt and refers to Osiris, the lord and savior, sound familiar, of Egypt. The constellation Orion is composed of the three stars of Orion's belt or the three kings and the yin and yang of the Egyptian pantheon Isis, and Osiris. Dope. (laughs) So do you guys know what happens in the Northern Hemisphere between the winter solstice, December 21st and December 25th? The three stars of Orion's belt, or the three kings, align with the North Star, Sirius, and point to where the sun rises. On the 21st, the Northern Hemisphere is tilted farthest away from the sun, making it look like the sun has died because it doesn't change position for a couple of days. Then on the 25th, the earth begins to tilt back towards the sun and it looks like the sun's moving higher in the sky and the sun is being resurrected and the days become longer. The thorns of Jesus's crown are actually the sun's rays. What? (laughs) So this time used to be a time of coming together with our friends and family to bring light to the darkness. Of course people get depressed, y'all. We don't even see the stars like we used to back in the day. Osiris was seen to be the savior of Egypt, and Osiris, the belt of Orion, points to the star Sirius. And this time of December 25th isn't just significant for the birth of Jesus. We've got Mithra, we got Osiris, we got Cyrus... Krishna, I don't know if that's true, but, you know, the, the internet is vast. And the point is, we are more similar than we are different, and we all need the sun. These stories are much older than whatever Coca-Cola would have us believe about a guy making toys with cheap, short slave labor on the North Pole. So this holiday season, we should all be out fire dancing and banging on drums into the darkness, getting primal and shit, and not go on a shopping spree. So that's the truth about Christmas. Happy holidays, days, y'all.
1: That was the comedian Sonal Agarwal So word on the street is that we're getting a new president in the Oval Office in a few weeks. The street in question is Black Lives Matter Plaza, just outside the White House in DC. And depending on who you ask, the new president in question is either Donald Trump 2.0 or this guy, who made a campaign stop at the Green Mill in the summer of 2019. Back when his primary opponents still included formidable rivals like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and lesser-known rivals like the little-known candidate John Delaney. Take it away, President-elect Joe Biden.
3: Hello, Chicago! Usually I start these things out with a, a folksy story or, or yarn of sorts that relates to your particular city. But, like at the time I, I was at the Navy pier taking in your in, indigenous culture. And I tell you, I, I, I saw an interracial lesbian couple, and I'm, I'm proud of myself. I didn't. I didn't get that, that involuntary startled motion I usually get when I see something out of the ordinary, like, whoa, what the hell is that? I coolly walked over to him, squeezed him by the shoulders, and I told him that the word lesbos derives from an island in the Aegean Sea, and not a lot of people know that. And then I asked their consent to take a picture with them from my Instagram feed. But I don't have time for stories. Trump has put us in peril. We got to get to the point. Things are serious now. We got to have serious faces to prove it. In the first debate, I admit, I was caught off guard. I was too friendly. I extended a a, 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 a modicum of courtesy and graciousness, which was taken advantage of in this day and age. And I see that now. See, I'm, I'm trying to to pull us together to take on Trump. But, but my fellow contenders, they want to get dirty with me. They want to get rough. They want to tarnish the legacy of Obama, who I was proud to call a friend. <laughs> if Uncle Joe needs to take a seat, Fighting Joe needs to step up. They want blood in the ring. They want a taste of pugilism. They guts it. <laughs> Debates are they're, they're, they're important for the, for the, the, the Democrats' party. It's, time to, it's a time to, to, to show your chops and rustle feathers and, and lick, lick your chops and, and infect wounds. Not too deep, mind you, not too deep. You have to be respectful. You gotta draw a little blood. You gotta show a little verve, a little vigor. Like the African buffalo, you have to be willing to lock horns kick up some dust, scare the village people, knock down a hut. (laughs) I'm the biggest gosh darn buffalo on the herd, so of course they're gonna charge after me. And I can take it. And I said in the mirror before I went on stage, bring it on. And boy did I bring it on. I flexed, uh, I flexed my muscles. Feel them, feel these muscles. (laughs) It's summertime, so I've been working on my muscles. And when Senator Booker came at me, I reached out to feel his muscles. And boy, oh boy, I tell you, his tendons were hard. Hard like iron forged to the fiery pits of Newark.
4: It's
3: very Tolkien-esque. Don't let his intimidating, mahogany body fool you. Because he's smart too. He's from Yale. It's from Oxford, all those schools. And I held onto those muscles firmly and I peered into his eyes, yet I did not back down. And then I felt the languid presence of the distinguished exotic Senator Kamala. Now, Booker, he's, he's like a hot mountain, but Kamala is a flashing fang in the dark. And I... <laughs> I parried her verbal assaults and leaned in respectfully and I felt the muscles in the small of her back. <laughs> and they suddenly tensed, coil like a tigress at the ready or a, a, a serpent, uh, I, I don't know, an, an Indian naga whose perfume lulled my senses. Yet I remained flaccid and true in my core. Now These are formidable foes indeed, but I also like to think that they're my best friends. <laughs> and every hurt on them I inflict is, is a hurt I inflict and in turn on myself. But it must be done in the name of, of defending the self that I project myself to be. <laughs> because I know deep down there is no self. There is only the this body and these thoughts and perceptions that come unbidden and pull me along the Lackawaka River through the Earl's Lumber Farm in Scranton. Heck, you know the one! (laughs) (laughs) And now a moment of silence to take in the breath. Ladies and gentlemen, John Delaney, a good friend of mine, John Delaney, who so handily won the first night's debates and also winner of the DNC Poetry Within Reason contest. Sponsored by Capital Source Insurance and Huggies. Little Johnny, will you please read your winning piece?
0: Focus on the future. Present day solutions and tomorrow's challenges. Risk the imagination of bold ideas. Focus on the future. Update the basic social compact. Innovate, elucidate. Don't be shrill, nor wave thy arms, old Jew. The aisle, cross the aisle. Focus on the future.
3: John Delaney, everyone. Thank you so much. They say the Buddha also spoke of moderation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think on me from now on. Think on me, look at this guy, think of me. Not as a man, but as a giant glistening hollow shell of a man. A protective gift washed ashore from the great mysterious depths of the Lackawanna River. A shell that when pulled to the lips and blown will call this world together and shake our concepts of left and right, up and down, right and wrong. This shell will house thyself, but it can't do it on its own. You, the people, you must crawl into it. This shell. They will take care of everything. Blot out that hated sky. The shells cannot be broken, everyone knows this. And when your tender meat is cowering inside, together as a nation. Anyway, I'm off to snap some wet towels. It's sauna night and I have to show the masseuse I'm not afraid. God bless. <laughs>
1: Joe Biden is the creation of a brilliant machete regular, the wonderful Chris Hauser. So this week, Rush Limbaugh had a very emotional year-end broadcast, in which he conceded he did not expect to be alive at the end of 2020. Of course, that's because his year started out with a cancer diagnosis, and subsequent Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Trump. I'd like to think that even if we'd been allowed to keep producing live machetes all year long, this essay on that topic, which was recorded in February, shortly before the shutdown, would still be one of the highlights. This is Bilal Dardai.
5: Before I get started, I need to apologize. This is very difficult for me. Uh, so The Good Place, it ended just a little bit ago, and the flood of grief and joy it instilled has yet to subside completely. I also uh, just finished watching BoJack Horseman the night before last, and I am still processing how wise and funny and empathetic it was about the ways that damaged people engage with one another, whether that damage was done to us or was self-inflicted. And if you watched either of these shows through to the end, you know what I'm talking about, and if you have not watched these, I am giving you homework. <laughs> This is all to say, the place where I am at right now is one that asks a lot of questions about moral philosophy and forgiveness. And it is deeply unfortunate that I should be feeling this sort of internal complexity during a week that not only saw the all but final collapse of Republican integrity and the dismantling of restraints on a would-be dictator, but also the news that right-wing radio ghoul Rush Hudson Limbaugh III is dying of advanced lung cancer. Because, oh my words, people. Oh my vast and varied and meticulously cataloged library of words. I stand before you as a man who was struck silent on how to respond to that news. The other thing i thought a lot about this week besides The Good Place in Bojack Horseman is an epigram that was once expressed by Kathleen Falsani. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you absolutely don't deserve. I have struggled with which of these I would dispense to Rush Limbaugh and the shape such a presentation would take because, and let me be specific, when you learn of the imminent doom for a media figure such as Limbaugh, there is an appropriate response, there is the appropriate response, and there are also an and the appropriate responses for you. In my response, I stand on a stage on a Saturday afternoon in a landmark jazz club, speaking through a microphone at a packed room of Chicagoans, native and adoptive, permanent and temporary. I take a moment to introduce the concept of serenity, which I consider both a principle and a practice, meaning that it is something I aspire to and often fail to achieve. I observe that the core of any principle is consistency, because any principle you practice selectively becomes a willing companion to prejudice. And sometimes this is right for you and you have to make peace with that as well. I had a notion that I would deliver no words to this room today. I would stand here mute, my eyes packed with daggers, in protest of the life he led and an attempt to express how little pain I shall feel when he passes. As if to say, I will make this man Limbaugh mean so little to me that I am unwilling even to spare my schadenfreude on him. But silences of this sort in these contexts are often employed for reflection, and I would not have my opinion be misconstrued, so my conscience and I agreed that I would speak. The problem that then follows, how to speak a eulogy for a man who is not yet dead, much less a man for whom I hold zero esteem who is not yet dead. Obviously, one might tirade, one might drop a minecart full of meteors into the forge of one's disrespect, and from them craft the jagged, saber-toothed o tails that scourges with such ferocity as to make the clickbait merchants of the internet crowd Oh! Destroyed! There would be cheap, easy shots at his girth and his drug addiction, of the intolerable drawl of his voice. The way he carries himself with the demeanor of an assistant high school football coach, unwilling to accept that he peaked in middle school, which is why he treats the world with the contempt of a neglected kindergartner. Nothing I said would be unearned. I could justify each invective simply by reciting a litany of notorious soundbites, each an avatar to his racism, his misogyny, his attacks on those already suffering delivered under a ragged cloak of self-declared comedy. We would all of us simply marinate in it, inhale its strychnine vapors, and walk out of the room ready to clock the first person who dared to exist within six inches of us. Except that it would also serve as a reminder that he survived all of it. For decades, across radio and television and the rise of the world wide web, Limbaugh is a man who ought have defined the notion of being given enough rope to hang himself, and yet he turned out to be the kind of cackling gnome able to spin the hempen knots into gold. Rather than condemning him with our words, we also stand condemned for having permitted them, for letting him slip through the cracks and continue until such point that we find ourselves watching with horror while he receives the nation's highest civilian accolade in front of a cheering horde. We failed repeatedly to shut the man's mouth through the means we had at our disposal, kicking the can down the road to be handled by base mortality, to be handled, at the last, by cancer. Which is yet another part of my problem. It's cancer. It's not any of the sudden calamities that can befall us, a car accident or a fall down a flight of stairs. It's not the misadventure he probably should have had when he was caught en route to the Dominican Republic with a bag of illicitly acquired Viagra. No, instead it is cancer and the likelihood that his own affinity for cigars may be the cause does little to alleviate my conflict because one of my abiding principles, one that I know I can express with consistency is fuck cancer. Say it with me if you want. Fuck cancer! So then how dare you, Rush Limbaugh, have cancer? How dare you be dying of the same wretched fiend that stole Alan Rickman and Gilda Radner and Carl Sagan, MCA, Edith Piaf, Duke Ellington, Ada Lovelace, Raul Julio, Audra Lorde, Fred Rogers, Bob Marley, David Bowie, Elijah Cummings, the countless... Beautiful, dynamic individuals who were never allowed to be made famous. The same bloodthirsty marauder that keeps making runs at Ruth Bader Ginsburg because it somehow hasn't learned to take a fucking hint. How dare you, Rush Limbaugh, make me, even for a moment, consider taking sides with cancer. That's my low point. That's me staring into the abyss of who I might become my toes hanging just over the edge of my own decency. So I close my eyes, I take a deep breath, I turn back, and I make a different decision. I decide to begin this essay with an apology for my shortcomings, because he never could once recognize or apologize for his own. I decide to be deliberate with the words I choose to speak and weigh the impact of those words beyond how they might enrich my tiny, petty empire. I decide to sweep away the details of his violence and focus on healing the scars he carved into our skins. I decide to be mindful of how I express anger and spite in front of my son, to do what little I can to cultivate a society that feels no hunger for the hunks of red meat that a man like Limbaugh would toss into the dust of every available coliseum. And I decide to imagine the day we cure cancer. I imagine several years after that breakthrough, when there are still some of us left who remember what it was like to endure and survive it. I imagine extemporaneous vigils in which we think of those who succumbed and those who suffered, those whose lives were diminished by the ordeal and whose potential was limited by the fight. We mourn the miracles we might have had if not for cancer. We celebrate the fallen for the time we had them and lament that their time did not extend long enough to have experienced the level of medicine that would have saved them. We think of family and we think of friends. We think of those who gave our own lives meaning for as long as we had them. And I decide to believe that nobody during these vigils is able to remember the name or the deeds of Rush Limbaugh that when the time comes, he is not considered somebody we lost. He's simply somebody who died. I decide that this can be the justice I expect, the mercy I can grant, the grace that I can allow. I decide that this is how I pursue serenity. And that becomes the response I decide to deliver to you.
1: Bilal Dardai is a neo futurist and longtime machete contributor. So, the end of the year is, of course, when the culture vultures and media gatekeepers and critics roll out their best and worst lists. So, do you guys remember when President Trump rolled out the fake media awards? This was to disparage the reporters and the news outlets he deemed to be the most dishonest and corrupt of the year. I had honestly forgotten about this myself because it was so far in the past that we have to go back three press secretaries. Yes, you guessed it. That means the fake media awards happened on Sarah Huckabee Sanders' watch. So the machete was lucky enough to secure red carpet coverage of this event. Here now is former White House Press Secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders.
6: Good afternoon. This is Sarah Huckabee Sanders reporting live for T-News from the location of the upcoming Most Dishonest and Corrupt Media Awards of the Year. And Chris, I gotta tell ya, I'm tripping on finesse right now. (laughs) This may come as a surprise to some of y'all, but it has been my life's dream to be a real red carpet reporter. Many of you forget that my father, Mike Huckabee, is a comedian turned politician by the will of Christ. (laughs) And when I was a little girl, my daddy and I prayed for Joan Rivers and her dead husband every night. And now here I am, holding a microphone with a single bold letter on it, lighting rigs being raised above my head, Pretty soon they're gonna roll out the red carpet. It's like they say down in Arkansas, tie your shoelaces to a sizzling waffle iron and make yourself sick in a child's paddling pool cause this right here is a party. (laughs) Now like any lead up to a major Trump White House event, it's all about the PNP. That's planning and preparation. Think 2017 inauguration, okay? Star power. Think, think Easter egg roll, organized in less than 10 minutes. Think White House Correspondence Dinner. How great was that? Has there been any other administration in recent memory that has executed such iconic events as this one? This is what we have in store for us come Monday at five o'clock (laughs) o'clock. Now Chris, Chris, there is so much we don't know, so many surprises in store for us, and for those who tune in to the most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year, what are the categories? Who are the nominees? What channel is it on? (laughs) that and more is left for y'all to speculate on, but what I can tell you (laughs) is that I'll be here at 2 o'clock o'clock to bring you live coverage from the red carpet. Now some red carpet shows have nail cams and shoe cams, but this show right here, We've got a blazer cam, and I'm told we're going to see blazers uh, with dramatic lapels and and some even with three-quarter-length sleeves. (laughs) Specific colors are being used this year to make statements on the red carpet. I'm told Matt Lauer has asked his remaining friends to wear green in support of him so we can expect to see Savannah Guthrie in emerald, Hoda copy and Olive and Kathy Lee dressed as a giant green bean. <laughs> Swag bags will be given out this year. I'm told everyone will get a, an expired bottle of Melania's Caviar Collection moisturizer, which I want you to know is a real thing, made with real caviar, so it is safe to use on your baby. <laughs> There's also a portable teeth bleacher, which I am told is favored by Don Jr. And, a real surprise, stainless steel nipple enhancers. These are favored by Ivanka, a woman who can afford a well-made bra that's properly lined, but what if she just really wants to nip out in front of the UN Commission on improving women's access to small business capital? (laughs) Now you can too. We got a saying where I'm from. Nipples are the windows to your granny's attic, but watch out for the spiders, egads. <laughs> so tune in, Chris, to where I can't say. <laughs> You won't want to miss a musical performance from Touch by an Angel's Roma Downey during the End Memoriam section of the show, where the careers of Charlie Rose, Mark Halperin, Matt Lauer, and many others will be remembered. Yes, they did do a bad thing, but those who reported them should remember that they killed the careers of men who worked their entire lives to get where they were. Tune in, Chris, to see if Anderson Cooper will finally hold Andy Cohen's hand in public. Will disgrace CNN reporter Randy Kaye show her face after reporting live from a marijuana party bus on New Year's Eve? Will Don Lemon just die already? Will Chris Cuomo choke? Will Lester Holt just casually blow the entire thing up? And will Meghan McCain stop crying about her daddy? Let me finish it. We got a saying where I'm from, ask enough grasshoppers a question and you'll find a ring around your bathtub made of sparkling sugar. That's Sarah Huckabee Sanders reporting live for T-News. Thank you so much, Chris, back to you. Thank you.
1: Sarah Huckabee Sanders was, and hopefully one day will be again, the creation of the irrepressible Erin Diamond. There's honestly no Trump administration flunky. I'm rooting for harder to have a new chapter in public life if only so that Erin Diamond can occasionally bring her back to the green mill and the brown wig. So if you're like me, the loved one that you've missed most during the pandemic, the one person you feel most lost without the one person you know would have the best COVID and quarantine life advice. That person is Chad, the person, Chad, the bird here now with some healing 2020 closing sentiments is the paper machetes, avian op-ed columnist, Chad, the bird.
7: Okay, hey, is this thing on? Okay. <clears throat> people of Earth um calling people of Earth. But like Earth people only. I'm not here to fuck with Martians or Venusians or whatever the hell we're calling the people on Jupiter. Jupites. It uh, doesn't matter. I'm calling Earth people cuz I've got no need for space aliens right now except in a Mandalorian capacity. Not that we're asking you to calm down, clearly don't want to, nor would you want to. We've been fighting your asses ever since President Bill Pullman, the greatest president this nation has ever had, had the gumption and space force to knock y'all back to wherever the hell the Independence Day aliens were from. So y'all just do you, but people of Earth, turn down your music, check your Wi-Fi signal, and click the Zoom link for a second. Tune in, and tune out all around you. Which is a big fucking ask in the year that was, because there's a lot to tune out. But I believe in you. I believe you can do it. It's possible. I'm not gonna get dramatic. Plenty of that to go around. I'm not gonna judge any of you for acting crazy. We've all been living like we've been working on a novel for the past nine months, and that's never a good look for anyone, so no judgments and I'm certainly not gonna start anything. Because who's got beef? Seriously, does anyone here still have beef? Must have been a for real beef for you to still have beef in a year when it feels like the universe itself has all the beef with us, so yeah. I'm not starting shit. I just have a thing to get off my chest here in these last hours, these last moments. It's getting down to the end And I powered up the old broadcast tower to give you this. The last thought of 2020. It's hard to know even where to begin people once thinking the last thought of 2020. For many a thought has been had in such a whirlwind of a shit tornado that has been this desolate year. We began in January relatively pissed in general the movie Cats was in the theater. Don't Fuck With Cats was on Netflix. It was really a lot of cat-related misery at the shotgun start of what would be the greased deck chair jammed up our ass without our consent, that was 2020. Luckily, a lot of states finally had legalized weed, so the first two months kind of passed without too much incident, except for that one time that planners killed off Mr. Peanut for some fucking reason. But don't worry, he came back as Baby Nut? And if that wasn't a big bright red fucking flag that 2020 was gonna be a root canal by a blind hippo of a year, then what the fuck was? February started off with a leap year. Which meant, cause math, all the major holidays were falling on weekends and Fridays. Which should have been a huge... Fuck off fucking Crimson Banner waving that 2020 was going to be a pile of ground hazelnut coffee and powdered dog shit steeped in ditch water of a year. Either way, we were too stoned and still talking about cats to notice. We found out Mark Zuckerberg gets his armpits air dried by an intern thanks to a tell-all book. Kibby came and went within the five minutes it took to do a kibby. We watched The Witcher, which was weird, right? It was a weird watch, right? Henry Cavill in a white wig? Wow, what a wild, wonky-ass, weird watch The Witcher was, white. And if you weren't, you were watching Love is Blind. So yeah, February came and went with all the warning of a storm front coming, but even though the sky was bright fucking red, the white water was running and the temperature dropped faster than a kibby. how were we to know? Then March hit and knocked out the tower. Since then, well, you know, it's been dark. If the kids in the future ask what it was like, I'm going to refer them to two things. Number one, the opening of Avengers Endgame, when, spoiler alert, everything is fucking sad and lonely, floating in space, cold, hopeless near the end and somehow still surviving while dear Mr. Fantasy by traffic plays slowly over the sound of distant thunder. And number two, that feeling you get when your car stalls on the highway in a snowstorm and while you're calling AAA your phone dies, but just before it does you get a notification that you've overdrawn your checking account and no checks are coming until Q2. For nine months and counting, our guts have been twisted. Our relationships tested to the breaking point, our trust in society and the people of Earth shattered by shitty uncles on Facebook and maskless Karens at 7 Elevens. Plans were cut short, loves were lost, and suddenly everyone was a teenager with a big old fucking alt rock chip on their shoulder. Beards grew, jobs ended. Every day felt like a track from a Radiohead album, and worse off, no one could hug. We covered our faces, covered our bases, took single walks with single people, and watched the news rot from the inside out. But at least you all finally learned how to wash your fucking hands! Summer came, summer went. It was a something of a summer, more the sum of our bummer, because it was nice out, but where could we go? And when we did, your cousin refused to wear a fucking mask, so then back inside, recess was canceled, because the adults were acting like children, and the children just wanted to go back to school. Positive was negative and negative was a positive in this backward fucking year, but at least we got some good TV, even though your parents still had the news on so they could stay pissed at the orange sack of Sanka and Hornets in the White House shitting on the walls while we all learned how to decorate our places, took up yoga, learned chess. We COVID cuffed and lost, and eventually turned the country cerulean again, but the damage was done the stain was tangerine turned gangrene, so it just left us collectively blue. And that was November. Then came the holidays. And they lost their dazzle cause we couldn't do it together. And then the new year slowly came on like a bus on its last wheels, but still doing its job and yeah, we'll get on it cause it'll get us home. And it's the only one running at this late hour. Moving on. The year in the rear view, hindsight forever being 2020. And as we settle into the ride through the winter, trusting the bus to the future, hope in the headlights, the vaccine, the Biden team, we lay our heads back into the final thought of this suffocation by way of wet naps and cheesecloth of a year. We cannot be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. We are fighting for our right to live, to exist. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're gonna live on. We're gonna survive. Or so said President Bill Pullman, the greatest president this nation ever had. I love you, stay safe, wear a mask, get your vaccine, and I will see you in the future.
1: Chad the Bird is, of course, the wholly original, whole cloth creation of that indispensable Chicagoan, Josh Zagorin. Well, that's our show. On one hand, it's been the worst damn year. On the other hand, the vaccine is on its way. A new White House administration is packing its bags. We don't want to give you any false hope, but we also don't want to give you any more bitter pills. We will see you in 2021. I, ju- I just know that we will. We're going to leave you with a few songs from the wonderful Nikki Morgan. Thanks for listening, and as always, good night, Mrs. Steinberg, wherever you are.
8: right here. So don't tell me you're a tiger, baby. Don't tell me you've had enough. Take a seat in my chair, honey. And tell me that you like it. Tell me you've had enough. Take a seat in my chair, honey, and tell me that you like it
9: I just want to say how happy I am to be here with all of y'all. I'm like sweating my face off, but it's okay. Um, Whitney Houston sweated a lot, so it makes me feel better about it. (laughs) Like, I'm just getting my Whitney on. It's fine. (laughs) Um, This song, this song is called Love Save Me. Um, I wrote it after a particularly slutty summer.
8: i'll give you one good place to hide just rest your head upon my shoulders or your legs between my thighs see i decided it don't matter i'll take whatever makes you mine and we'll keep lying here together like we've sold the hands of time now we can't call it love say how good it makes us feel or we can walk across the fire towards the only thing that's real see i gotta Plenty road before me, but I think I'll stay off track, cause I would rather bear the journey than to dread the looking back. for all the good. I took a pill before the party, but was still misunderstood. And I go to church on Sunday morning, crying, Lord, he help me please. But then I swear I heard him tell me, get the fuck Surprise, I grabbed a saddle and a little nip of gin. Cause you see, once you get to flying, we may never. Time comes to collect from the poor soul that came before me and the ones who tried their best. And you might attempt a little whisper when your time is running out. But it's my voice that you'll be hearing when you open up your mouth.
9: I'm Nikki Morgan. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, I swear, uh, if you—I I always think I have an accent, but people tell me I don't. If you—if you notice one, it's genuine. I'm originally from North Carolina. Um, recently that my uncle uh, plays harmonica, he never told me, which is quite strange. Uh, um, But yeah, it makes me really happy to to be one of those people. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going, I'm just gonna sing the song. Um, This song is called Someone Else's Game. It's about just living life by your own rules and not trying to play anybody else's game, but if you do, play it well.
8: faster, harder, stronger like the secrets that we held were precious to the world. And nobody quite could catch us, though we let our hearts lay bare for all to see. And he said, hey, man, what you doing? How do you get to be so fast? You were never playing someone else's game, game, game. to be so cruel. should just jump down and start to fly well you don't know me very well you see my wings are shot to hell so i've been told so i'll hold on to all my trophies and grab a few of yours too and
1: across the platform in her Green Mill debut. How great was that?